I'm truly excited about this new series that we're beginning today, and here's why. Uh, even without everything that we're facing right now as a country, as individuals, life and faith is complicated. We're all just trying to figure out how to have the best life and best relationships and represent God well, right? If you're a Christian, a Jesus follower, you're trying to get that right as well as we deal with elections and social injustice and conflict and everything and COVID and and most that I visited with, they would not describe this as a spiritual high point in their life. As I've been spending time and talking with people, the common feeling is that of fatigue. People of all ages and stages of life, there's just something exhausting about daily trying to navigate about a million disrupted and unpredictable details with nearly every social interaction. There's just some part of it that's awkward. And the majority of us are feeling fatigued and overwhelmed and, and tired of trying to navigate social situations where you're trying to read the minds and motives of people. Like, can we shake? Or, oh, I almost started to shake. Can we fist bump? Should I just wave at six feet? It's, it's nearly every time you're in the physical presence of someone in, in your mind, you're just feeling like, I'm not doing this right. Maybe they're uncomfortable, or maybe you're the one that's uncomfortable. You feel like people are getting in, into your zone, and we just kind of all feel a low-grade stupid all the time. And, and here's what we know. When we're tired or fatigued, we feel low-grade or intensely overwhelmed. Our mental and spiritual health is less than optimal. It affects everything around us and every relationship, doesn't it? And we don't handle things and people as well. And yet Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it in the full. And I don't know about you, but especially right now, that seems really attractive. And maybe especially when we're under pressure, we want to feel like we're doing life well, that I'm headed in the right direction and that I'm living a life and treating others in such a way that things are growing stronger rather than breaking down. So that's why I'm so excited about the series. It's called Life Apps. And what we're going to discover together for the next few weeks, uh, it it's going to hit really, really close to home for all of us. And it's going to help us identify some specific areas and action points that could be huge for you as you're trying to navigate everything 2020 has thrown at you. And if you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you really need to pay attention for the next few weeks. If you're not a Christian, you can pick and choose. Meaning I'm not trying to hold you accountable to any of the life apps that we're going to be talking about because that would be like me going into your workplace and going, okay, from now on, everyone needs to be here at 7.30. From now on, we're only having Coke products in this building. You'd look at me like I was high, call the police or just throw me out. You'd be like, you don't have any authority to tell employees of this company what to do. And you'd be right. So if you're not a Christian, I'm not going to try and hold you accountable to something you never signed up for because you've not signed up to be a follower of Jesus. However, my, my hope is that you'll decide, you know what, I think some of this could actually make a difference in my life, and that you'll consider beginning to follow Jesus because you discover that Jesus could make your life better and make you better at life. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about five life apps. And to get us started, I just want to talk a few minutes today about the key to any of what we're going to talk about actually doing you any good. Because the bottom line is this, at the end of the day, it's what you do that matters. It's what you do that makes the difference. Application makes all the difference. Believing is a good first step. But until you begin doing, there will be no difference in your life. None. Now, two people that really camped out on this in the New Testament, not surprisingly, are Jesus and his brother, James. And again, imagine being the brother of James. How fun, or the brother of Jesus. How fun would that be? Or maybe it would be horrible. 
I mean, how many times you might have to hear your mom go, why can't you be just more like Jesus? Why can't you be more like Jesus? But the fact that James became a follower of Jesus may be the single most compelling piece of evidence that Jesus did in fact rise from the dead. Because seriously, what would your brother have to do to convince you that he was a son of God, right? James, the brother of Jesus, came to the conclusion that his big brother was actually the son of God. So James, who grew up with Jesus, became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He had a lot to say about the significance of application. So if you have a Bible separate from the device that you're watching or listening on, we're going to be in the book of James, James 1. We're going to read a few verses together, and then we're going to get you on to other things today. But James tells us, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Now, this was written a couple thousand years ago and yet is so incredibly relevant today. He's about to tell us what happens every single Sunday in every single church in 2020. In fact, it's happening right now, this minute, even though most churches are still online with their Sunday morning experience, because in our church culture, as it was in the case in the synagogue culture 2,000 years ago, people thought if I get up and I go to a building, I get credit. In 2020, if I go to a building or I get on my phone or my tablet or my laptop and I'm logged on to the church service, God looks down and goes, wow, he's in church. She's in church. All green lights for them tomorrow as they drive to work. Closest parking spot to Dylan's in the Y this week. Bonus points on the next exam. A pay raise for them on their next review. Whatever it is. We think that because we're in a building or sitting in a row, we got up on Sunday morning early enough to log on and endure a sermon. Or, God, you know, I stayed away. I stayed awake for 70%. I mean, God, did you notice? Uh, I didn't even shop on Amazon or check my emails. I mean, this is American culture in 2020. And this was Jewish culture 2,000 years ago. We think we get credit for just being there to listen. And somehow that makes us more spiritual, better religious people. And then here's the other thing that happens in church. When a person who does what I do preaches a really practical stuff, you know, kind of gets up in your business. And how many of you have ever felt bad about yourself at church? Like, man, I am a failure. I am not getting it right. In American culture, we consider that a religious experience, right? It's like I went to church and I left feeling bad about myself, like a loser as a person or a husband. I felt like I'm not a good mom. I'm not a very good follower of Jesus. I, I went to church. I just felt so bad about myself. And we consider that a valuable religious experience. And James, the brother of Jesus, says, you've deceived yourself. You think that there's value in something in which there is absolutely no value. And I'll tell you who really gets this people who don't claim to be a Christian or religious. If you're not a Christian or a religious person, uh, if you would say the words amen, you'd say amen because you don't go to church or claim to be a Christian and you're actually as good or better than some of the people that you know who do go to church. And you're just so sick and tired of hearing them talk about their church and having them invite you to their church and you're so sick and tired of feeling looked down on because you don't go to church because you know what James knows. You know that those Christian friends of yours who don't talk any better, work any harder, study any harder, in fact, they cheat just like you do. They stare at women just like you do. They look at stuff that they shouldn't look at just like you do. They get drunk just like you do. And, and, and especially these days, they've got a bad attitude just like you or on edge or they're grumpy just like you. They post divisive stuff on social media just like you or worse. I mean, they're just like you or worse. And you'd say James is right because they think they're better than you because they went to a church building or they logged on and they endured some sort of talk and they feel like they're superior to you because they listened. 
They don't do anything with it, but they listen. And you look at us and you go, you Christians, you church people, you're so self-deceived. You think somehow you're better, a better person because you got up earlier than me on a Sunday, logged on, maybe there was some music, you endured a speech of some sort, you believe you're better than me, and James, the half-brother of Jesus, would go, high five, amen, you are exactly right. If all they did was listen, they are no better than you. Aren't you glad you logged on today for this uplifting message? So James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, Here's a shocking thought. Do what it says. Oh, man, I can't start doing that. If I start doing what it says, that's like going to mess up everything and all the guilt that I'm supposed to feel. And James is going, you're, you're so deceived. Do, do what it says. But here's the problem. But doing is hard, right? Listen, I am no better than you, okay? Just like you, I want God to just magically make me possess all of the best qualities and magically make good things happen in my life, in my relationships. And while it is true that God sometimes will just bestow on us certain traits and things and blessings, for the most part, he chooses the root of partnership where he has a part and we have a part. In fact, James gives us the best illustration of what he's talking about. He says, anyone who listens to the word, who sits in a row or logs on or takes notes, but does not do what it says, is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, which is every single person listening to my voice right now. Even if you have not showered for the day, uh, you have looked at your face in the mirror, haven't you? Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, walks away, immediately forgets what he looks like. Now, in our culture, we actually have glass mirrors. We can see all the details, which for some of us is like bummer. I wish it was a little more cloudy because in this culture, they didn't have glass mirrors. They had pieces of bronze or tin where they could kind of get a reflection or they'd have a bucket of water that they'd wash their face off with. They'd peer over the edge, see their reflection in the water. That's as about, about as good as it got when it came uh, to mirrors for them in their culture. And James is, is saying a person that listens online in a row, in a pot, podcast uh, to what he or she needs to do and goes away going, oh, wow, I need to do that, or I need to stop doing that. Absolutely. And then just walks out or logs off, but doesn't do anything about it. It's exactly like getting up in the morning, walking into the bathroom going, oh, wow. And then just turning on, uh, out, leaving and going on with your day. Now, not going to lie, COVID is kind of messing with this illustration just a bit, because for some of you, you've not had to shower, shave, or comb your hair most days of the week, Right. But for most of us, even if we're working or doing class from home, that Zoom meeting is coming. People are going to see us. And while we may be in boxers or whatever from the waist down, we do not ignore this, right? In fact, for those of you that are over 30 especially, think about the money you spend. Ladies, not all of you, but most of you. Can we be real for a moment? I mean, think about all of the stuff that's on your bathroom counter and in your bathroom cabinet that you have bought and specifically laid out, have just right, just to address the morning, oh, wow, that you see in the morning. In fact, when you travel, you carry a designated, oh, wow, bag. In fact, I have my wife's here. Don't tell her I showed you this, but it's just full of tools and products. So that in the morning, after looking at yourself in the mirror, you just dive into this special bag and go to work on that face and hair. I'm not going to open this because I still want to sleep in the same bed as my wife. But but did some of you, most of you ladies, you've even got an oh, wow bag in your purse, a little one, right? In case something gets out of place or needs a touch up. So ladies, men, 
Men, when do you quit looking in the mirror in the morning? You quit when everything is the way it should be. Or like in my case, it's just simply not going to get any better. There's only so much to work with. So James says, unfortunately, you and I spend more time and have more commitment to fixing what's in the physical mirror than fixing what's in the mirror when it comes to our heart. When, it's, when God's word is held up in front of your heart and you go, wow, I need to work on that. I, I need to quit doing that. Wow, I need to be more disciplined in that area. Oh, wow. I'm not going to do any of that stuff. I'm just going to go, oh, wow. And James says, if you're a Christian, look, you're more committed to the things that don't make a difference than you are to the things that make all the difference. Whether you get every hair in place and your makeup perfect has nothing to do with the direction and the quality of your life. But what the scripture teaches about your money and your morality and your relationships and your marriage and how you treat your kids and honor your parents, the way you handle, handle, you'll handle yourself at work, your integrity, all those things determine the direction and the quality of your entire life. And James is saying you're more committed to fixing what you see in the mirror, which matters little, than the, what you, or the things that you are in your heart and your mind, which matter much. In fact, think of the night or the week or the season that you regret the most in your life where you think, if I could just go back and do things different, it would just redirect my whole life. I bet you anything, if you were to go back and be able to look at yourself during that night or that season, your hair looked awesome. Your makeup was on point. I mean, you never looked better and you've never behaved more improperly. And your makeup and your hair or the fact that you had shaved or had spiked your hair just right and had that perfectly trimmed beard did nothing to add to the quality and the direction of your life. But your lack of application got you into a mess. So you deceived yourself. And then you know what we do? Like a guy who gets up in the morning and goes, you know, looks in the mirror like, man, I really need to trim or shave or do something with this bedhead and everything I see up here, but doesn't do anything with it and just leaves and goes to work. And, and this is how we do regi- religious talk. So I go to work. I'm going to have that Zoom meeting with my boss later. Somebody sees me first and goes, hey, Chad, have you looked at yourself in the mirror today? I'll go, oh, man, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know. I, I really need to shave or trim and do something with this hair and my, my shirt. Man, you're so right. Thanks for saying something. But I don't do anything. Then Then I go to lunch with my guy friends, and they're like, Chad, aren't you like working and meeting with people today? Have you seen yourself in the mirror today? Oh man, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Would you pray for me? Because I know this is a mess and I need to deal with it. I mean, I saw it. Somebody else pointed it out. Shauna pointed it out. Can we just pray for me right now? Because I really need to get my hair, my face and all this in order. So let's just pray about it. And you'd be like, bro, what are you talking about? Go deal with it like now. No, 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 no. I don't want to actually do something. I just want to feel bad about it. And I want to offer it as a prayer request. And I, I want uh, other people to pray for me and talk about me behind my back. And you're like, Chad, seriously, just look in the mirror and deal with what you see. And some of you, like, like I'm just being honest. Like, Come on, some of you, you've been carrying around the same old stupid habits, overindulgences, and lack of discipline for years, haven't you? And every time it comes up, you go, yeah, I really need to work on that. And you kind of feel closer to God because at least I'm honest and I'm transparent. And James would go, honest and transparent, you're deceiving yourself. It's not doing you any good because application, it's everything. 
It's what you do, not what you intend to do or what you know you ought to do or even what God convicts you to do. And then he comes to this great part of the verse. He says, but whoever looks intently, and we know more about looking intently than James does. Some of you ladies, and I promise I am not trying to pick up on you, pick on you, but most of you, you have a look intently mirror, right? Right? I mean, so, so some of you, you've got one in your purse. Some of you, you've got one on your bathroom counter. My wife's got one. Don't tell her I told you, but it's mounted to the wall of our bathroom. It can swing out. Again, don't tell her, but, and, and you flip it. It's like a hundred times magnification. You can see like the moon, the sun, and Alpha Centauri, like peering to the cosmos with it. Some of you, you've got to look intently mirror with a light around it. And like you flip it and magnify so you can stare into each pore and you can look up your nose all the way to your brain. It's like, wow, look up there. It just makes everything huge. And James says, whoever's like, listen, I'm looking and I'm not moving until I see everything that needs to be addressed and fixed by looking into the perfect law. In his case, he's talking about the Old Testament. Uh, the stories and sayings of Jesus were floating around, the teachings of Paul, all this incredible literature that would later be gathered into what we call the New Testament that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Now, this is so important. For some of you, you push back on the idea that somehow following Jesus in Scripture means freedom. For some of you, you'd say, when I think about applying the Scripture, I think about having to give things up. I think the opposite of freedom. Becoming a Christian or following Jesus, that would force me into a lifestyle that seems restrictive. But here's why I love this passage. For example, many years ago, I embraced a discipline that is actually part of the Old Testament. Jesus actually raises the standard, but from young adulthood, I embraced the value that every time I get a dollar, I should give away a dime. And then about 11 years ago, I embraced not only should I give away a dime, but I should save about two and live on the rest, which is fine as long as it was a dollar. But when you start making or dealing with hundreds of dollars, the whole idea of giving away and saving hundreds, that does not feel like freedom. Honestly, it felt like somebody taking money away from me. But because I believe God speaks to the scripture, and Dave Ramsey, by the way, but the scripture, when I began applying these God principles to how I handle my finances, it did not feel like freedom in the moment. And yet it has resulted in financial freedom and breathing room and margin. In fact, for those of you that with a bunch of debt and no margin, especially going into COVID, if you took a financial hit as a result of the pandemic, that debt or that lack of margin did not and definitely does not feel like freedom, does it? It feels like you're trapped. Like the proverb writer says, like you're a slave, a slave to the lender. See, for some of you, early on in your finances, you decided you had freedom to do whatever you wanted with your money. And on top of that, someone gave you a piece of plastic uh, that you could swipe or they offered you 0% interest so that you could spend money you didn't even have. And it did not result in more freedom it resulted in less freedom. It resulted in bondage. So though it's not often immediate or the initial feeling by saying yes to God's way in the area of our finances, no to ourselves, what is ultimately felt is freedom. Another thing, most of you know I do quite a few weddings, and this may come as a surprise to you, but with many of them from childhood, it was explained to them that God had things to say about morality, specifically sexuality and sex, and that sex was an awesome gift for the context of marriage, and they chose to embrace that. 
But growing up, especially in the teens and into college, it did not feel like freedom. Wait until I get married? Do married people even have sex anymore, especially once they have kids? It's like when I had my first sex talk with my third son. We'd cross the point of no return in the conversation, and now he knew the unspeakable thing that had transpired between me and his mom that produced he and his brothers. And after a thoughtful moment, he looks at me and goes, so you and mom used to do that. I I chuckle as like, son, we have a lock on our bedroom door for a reason. So anywho, I've come alongside engaged couples who, who long before their wedding day, they decided I'm going to handle this part of my life the way scripture teaches because I believe scriptures, the scriptures are from God. And going through the teen years and navigating dating and the engagement, which is almost, almost always way too long, not one individual would say to me, oh, it was so easy. It felt like freedom. No, it didn't. But on the other side of I do, in the honeymoon, I'm telling you, they're so glad that they waited. And, and let's just be honest. The handling of sexuality and the sexual nature in our culture is destroying a generation of kids. In fact, in recent weeks, if you, uh, for any of you that are on social media or seen in the news, hashtag, hashtag cancel Netflix has become one of the top Twitter trends because of a movie on Netflix that most feel have crossed the line of the over-sexualization of children and many, many consider it child pornography. And for those of you who were extraordinarily sexually active through high school and college and now you're in your 30s or 40s, did that history result in greater freedom for you now? Or once you finally met that person you married, did it, or did it add to the complexity? You know what else we're taught in Scripture? We're taught to be careful of what we put in and what we do with our bodies. In fact, the Scriptures say that we're to honor God with our bodies. Now, that does not sound like freedom. I mean, having to say no to that triple cheeseburger or the endless breadsticks or the ice cream every night and exercise? Gross. That sounds horrible. But I have experienced firsthand the freedom that comes when we choose uh, the freedom to choose from a diverse list of fun, physically demanding activities that, just to be honest, many guys my age, they just can't. The, the fact is, I, I can still out-ski guys half my age, and I promise I'm not trying to brag. It's fun to show you this, but, uh, but I'm not trying to brag. My wife, who takes excellent care of her body, the two of us have enjoyed the freedom to choose and experience beautiful treks and hikes along terrain that requires a certain level of physical well-being. And if we chose to just indulge more with our eating and less with our physical exercise, which in the moment does not feel like freedom, we would actually have less freedom. I watched as my grandparents, who I adored, who unwaveringly used their freedom to not eat right or exercise, I watched as their freedom was slowly taken away from them, and they became prisoners to their bodies and diabetes and heart issues, which ultimately killed them. But my sisters and I, we decided on a different path for ourselves when it came to our bodies. Then the moment of saying no to something that sounds more tasty or less strenuous, it does not feel like freedom. But then we discover all the wonderful things we can say yes to. And then getting to my age and enjoying the freedom and the ability to be active with your adult children, God's way once again proves freedom giving. And I feel blessed in what I do. Another thing that we're taught is that that does not feel like freedom is if somebody hurts me, I have to forgive them. Well, that doesn't feel like freedom. That's like insult to injury. It's like first you hurt me and then God gets me by saying, forgive them. It's like, God, I thought you were on my side. You're telling me I have to let them off the hook, which is what forgiveness feels like. So first they get me and then God gets me by making me forgive them. Who, Who came up with this ridiculous system? 
I want to wait until they apologize three times and they're on their knees begging me forgiveness. And, and once they've made restitution and admitted to everyone they were wrong, then I might consider it. And God's going, no, you, you don't wait for any of that. You just decide in your heart, you don't owe me. So where is the freedom in that? Well, let me ask you this. Ever been a slave to anger? There is no freedom in anger. There's no freedom in resentment. There's absolutely also no freedom in, I'm going to wait till they take responsibility. The freedom is found only in the non-intuitive exercise of, I'm deciding to forgive you. See, I've been a Christian for so long and in this for so long, and I've talked to so many people, and I can just give you example after example, and I'm more convinced than ever that James is exactly right, that in the application there's freedom. You don't feel it initially, but you experience it eventually, that whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. The bottom line, application makes all the difference. Doing is what makes the difference. Not believing, not hearing or listening or taking notes, not, yeah, yeah, I ought to. At the end of Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, here's Jesus' summary statement. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Practice, not not hears these words of mine, takes notes, or just comes back next week for another dose. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Do you know how much harder it is to build a house on rock than sand? See, it, it's in you and I to go, you want me to do what? Are you kidding? That's hard. Give up what for how long? That's like building a house on a rock. You, you want me to do what with my finances? That's like building a house on the rock. A, a rock, you know, forgive. That's like building a house on a rock. Jesus is going, yeah, that's why I'm giving you this illustration. Jesus is saying, listen, when God gives you a direction and it's hard on the outset, like building a house on the rock, stick with it because you can trust that at the other end there's freedom, liberty. That's your reward because eventually, as Jesus tells us, the rain will come down, the streams will rise, the winds will blow and beat against the house, yet it will not fall because it has its foundation on the rock. A little paraphrase. So for the next few weeks, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about very specific build-on-the-rock applications that maybe we need right now more than ever. And in the moment, they do not feel easy. But if you're a Christian, these applications tie directly to how we follow and obey Jesus. And it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 20, 30, 40 years or more, I am convinced that you're going to learn something new and refreshed, life-giving, potentially life and relationship changing every week that's actually going to help you as you navigate the rest of 2020 and move into a new year. So don't miss any of the weeks. Invite friends. If you're not a Christian, I hope you'll play along. Keep coming back. Our hope is that one day something would light up inside of you and you'd say, you know what? I believe it. But in the meantime, that you would just play along, apply what you want. But the, for the rest of us, I sincerely hope that these applications, as they're held up in front of us, that we would stare at them with the same intentionality that we stare in the mirror in the morning. And that we would refuse to take our focus off of them until we have made the adjustments necessary to bring what we see into alignment with what we discover our Heavenly Father wants for us, which ultimately leads to life that is truly life. So let me pray for us. God, I pray for us uh, 
for everyone that one that even heard something today that they're thinking this is an area that I need to dig in and focus on and quit talking about, quit just praying about, but I need to do something that you would give them the courage today before the sun sets to take action. Father, I pray for all of us as we just continue to navigate all the uncertainty and the strangeness around us, as well as the intensity that is being brought about by, by politics and social injustice and social tension and racial tension and all of these things, Father, that you would give us wisdom and discernment, that you would lead us in this and that we would truly be a light in the darkness. So Father, I pray for all of us as we spend the next few weeks together working through that you will give us all the courage and the strength and the clarity to apply what we learn so that we might experience the goodness of your promises. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us. And hey, big news, big news. In two weeks, we're going to begin regathering physically again at the WSU Metroplex at 29th and Oliver. So, uh, Please be paying attention to our family page on, so on Facebook because there will be a lot of communication that way. If you're new to us, uh, new to New Life, there's a link in the comments where you can click and join the family page. Again, a lot of our information gets out that way as well as, well as our public page. So we want to keep you informed. Be sure to join us again online uh, next week as we continue this series. But I definitely hope that you will join us and bring friends as we begin to regather again. Um, we'll give you a clear picture of what that's going to look like and all that will entail. But this is, we are so excited to finally be able to do this again. All right. So please join us again next week. Definitely join us when we begin to regather again physically in a couple of weeks. Oh, and uh, one last thing, and this is how I usually work. R the following week after reopening, we've also got an awesome event that's going to involve pumpkin painting and carving and chili as we get into the fall. Just a great opportunity on a Saturday evening to get together, meet some new people, or reconnect with old friends as we just truly celebrate the season in a time where we just need this opportunity where we can have some joy and to enjoy each other. Okay, so again, join the family page, pay attention. We'll see you next week.